Let's read together Romans 15, 1 through 13 in unison. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, and he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, we come to You this morning as Your people. You have called us the church of the living God. You have placed Your Spirit within us. You have, you have removed the hostility among us and gave, given to us peace. You have made us one new man. In Christ, we have access You've called us citizens. You've called us members. You've called us saints. And You are putting us together and making us into a temple for Your dwelling. Father, we ask You to, to open our eyes to the glorious truths and the glorious position and the relationships and the blessings into which You have welcomed us. Father, give us insight into these texts that we walked through this morning, that we would have such joy in the welcome of Christ to us. We would see His heart. We would see His, His sacrifice to welcome us into such wonderful positions and, and blessings. And Father, help us to see Your glory this morning in a new and fresh way. That we would be motivated to welcome one another for Your glory. Father, humble us before Your Word. May, may please, the Spirit of God would give us hearts to understand, open our ears, open our, our mouths that we may tell of Your greatness and receive wonderful things out of Your law. Convict us for our very small and shallow view of Your purposes for us. Convict us for our coldness and our lack of passion to know You and to bring others to know You. Cleanse us from those sins, from those worldly perspectives. And fill us, fill us with Your passion, O Christ. Help us to see the Father the way You see the Father and His glory and to see one another the way You see us. And just like You commanded us, enable us to love one another as You have loved us. Open our eyes, Father, and may we be humble and run to Christ in our, in our conviction and find cleansing and, and upbuilding in Him. Thank You that we are rooted in Christ and that we have all the the resources of heaven at our disposal to become conformed to the image of Christ. 
And may these moments ahead of us this morning and even at our fellowship together as we talk and sing together and speak of your name together, may it all work together to bring us into the image of Christ for the praise of your glorious name. We ask all these things through Jesus our mediator for otherwise we would never be heard and nothing of our prayers would be answered. But in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And so we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> we return this morning to our, <clears throat> to our study on personal interaction for the glory of God. And we last week talked about how we relate with people in our day-to-day interactions through our words and our attitudes and our faces and certainly our personal expressions and posture toward them and how even that sometimes that we don't pay attention much to, all of that on those personal interactions in God's providence can have a great impact, either positive or negative, on the life of another as, as they perceive Christ and as they receive Christ and His Word and, and the Gospel. And so the main idea that, that we pray the Spirit will impress upon our hearts is, is this, welcome, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And we've taken this short verse and, and we've put it into three pieces for our study and it falls apart very easily into these three pieces. You can see, therefore welcome one another, that's what we're called to do. And then we're told how to welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. And then we're given a goal or a mission in, in that welcome. And that is certainly for the glory of God. And so we, we've formed our outline based on those verses. There's the actions of welcome. Therefore, welcome one another. The heart of welcome. And I've switched up the outline a little bit so you might scratch your outline and, and put the heart of welcome because... There's just way more packed in that middle phrase than what I can get in a couple of words. So we'll just see it as the heart of welcome this morning and we'll, we'll walk through it together. And that says, as Christ has welcomed you and then the mission of welcome for the glory of God. We began last week by looking at number one, the actions of welcome. And we focusing on, we're focusing on six New Testament words that describe our actions of welcome. We looked at the first four last week. In fact, these first four, as I've studied the text with these words in them, seem to be directed primarily toward fellow believers, whether they're strangers to us or those fellow believers that we've known for a long time. We're called to welcome one another, to greet, to receive, to show hospitality. And we, we worked through all those words in some detail last week. And what's very important for us to know is that while both our interactions with believers and our interactions with unbelievers are to be gracious and kind and loving, showing the grace and truth and love of Christ, there is in the Scriptures presented to us a difference between how we act toward one another and how we act toward unbelievers. In fact, one of the most well-known verses I think is often misunderstood. You've heard this in John chapter 3. Jesus said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What is it? How you love one another, right? That you have this love, my love, toward one another. And it's interesting, sometimes we take that verse and we think, well, the world will know that I am a disciple of Christ by how I love the world. And that's actually not what the verse is saying, is it? The verse is saying that the world will know that we are His disciples by how we love each other. We ought to have such a love and welcome and and kindness toward one another in Christ that the world looks on that interaction and says what? I want to know that too. Now that's, that's really what we've been talking about in these first four words. Welcome, greet, receive, show hospitality. We can kind of put in our mind John 13 there, and remember Jesus' words, by this all people will know that you are my disciples because you love one another as I have loved you. And now we're going to move our focus this morning to then what the Scriptures, the New Testaments talk about in how how we would welcome unbelievers. And we'll look at these last two words 
And the words that I see the New Testament talk about are being impartial and then winning. So let's look at those words together this morning. James 2, I think in some sense could go either way. It seems to be that that those who are coming into the church setting in James chapter 2 are unknown to the assembly. They're they're people that, that are new. They don't know them. And so... They, they could be believers or they could be unbelievers, but I think this is also fitting in terms of an unbeliever as well. James 2, 1-13, through let me read these to you and then we'll talk a little bit about, about this. James 2, 1-13, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or, sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, God has not chosen the has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him but you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court are they, are not they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails it in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do do murder... You have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now there's no way we're going to get to this whole text this morning. We just walked through that a few months ago in our study of James. It's a very critical text for life in the body of Christ. But the, the one thing that I want to bring out of this text is you can see James painting this picture. I mean, you can visualize it in your mind, can you not? There's an assembly of believers and there's a, a man who comes in. He's got really nice clothes on. And he's got jewelry adorning him. And then there's this man who looks like he just came in out of the gutter. And... He smells bad and he looks disheveled. And the body of Christ responds to each one of those persons entering based on an external evaluation. They look at that person and they say something about, they think, they make a judgment in their mind based on an external distinction that they've made. And what's very clear here too is that, and this is what most people do when looking at other people, well, I will judge you to be a person who can benefit me in some way. And therefore, I will, I will treat you well so that I can receive the benefit that I'd like to get from you. Or one looks at another person and says, you're not going to do me any good. In fact, you will probably be someone who will take advantage of me or or it'll be costly to be in relationship with you, so I'm going to push you aside. In this context, it was based on wealth. People were making an external evaluation and then a distinction and making a judgment on that. And so what this text ultimately is calling us to is seeing people through Christ's eyes, Wonderful gospel truth that comes in here. In verse 15, Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen the poor who are in the world to be rich in faith? The very person that the church may evaluate as having nothing in this world, God says, 
I choose those kinds of people to make them wealthy in the things of eternity and to do my purposes through them and in them. You've dishonored my work in that way. And often the very people that we may externally deem as beneficial to us. James writes, these are often the ones who oppress you, drag you into court, blaspheme the name that you are called by, the name of Jesus Christ. And so the point is here, we need to see people through Christ's eyes and exercise love and mercy instead of external and self-evaluation. James says, love your neighbor. And mercy triumphs over that judgment that we have in our minds, doesn't it? It does now and it does at the last day for those who are in Christ. And so we evaluate people. We, we have to... We have to learn not to evaluate people by artificial external distinctions. Isn't it so easy to do that? Various things, the way people talk, the opinions they hold, the way they dress, the way they carry themselves, all kinds of things can come into play. And, and, and we, it's so easy to receive that and think about it. And it's all an external thing that we, that we evaluate and then we treat them differently based on some of some external selfish evaluation instead of seeing them through. That is someone that God delights to have mercy on. That is someone whom God has chosen for His eternal purposes. Off oh, we could learn to see people through Christ's eyes instead of through the external evaluations that we often do. Do you gravitate toward and engage those with whom you think will do you the most good? Think about that. Do you stay away from those whom you think by your external evaluation will cause you the most inconvenience? Are you willing to engage with anyone Christ brings across your path regardless of some artificial, personal, external evaluation? Do you engage with others because you know what Christ can do in their lives? And you know that Christ can use you to bring them to Him. And therefore you show them His love and mercy without partiality because Christ has shown you His love and mercy without, in spite of who you are. And that's the kind of welcome we're called to as people of God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The love of Christ can work through us. Be impartial. Another word that we need to think about in our relationship, in our interaction with unbelievers is the word win. This is, again, a powerful text. Listen, look at what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 9, 19-20. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? Paul is thinking first of all about his identity in Christ, his position in Christ. Paul knows, I mean, he was the champion of the gospel of grace, right? He clearly taught from... Beginning his first letter all the way through, he taught salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. I am not under the law. I am free from all now. I do not have to keep the law in order to gain or maintain a position of righteousness with God. God has given me the righteousness of Christ, Paul would say. I stand in Christ's righteousness, declared righteous based on Christ's life and Christ's death. So he's free from having to keep the law in order to, to, to gain or maintain righteousness before God. But now he's saying, though that is true, he bends himself to serve unbelievers, others of all different backgrounds, so that he can win them to Christ. So he can win them to Christ by the gospel. 
And so to the Jewish people, what did he do? These are, what, do you, what are the Jewish people? Those are legalistic people, self-righteous people, people who keep all the, the letters of the law so that they can have a righteous standing before God. So in entrance into their community, in order to share the gospel with them, what did Paul do? Yeah, he would have gone through several ceremonial things, wouldn't he? I'm not going to eat pork. I'm going to wear the clothes that, that aren't going to offend you. I don't, I'm going to take the baths necessary. Whatever I need to do, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with my standing in, before God. It has everything to do with my winning your listening ear. Because I want to win you to Christ. I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself. I became like that that I might win those under the law. Isn't that an amazing thing? An amazing thing. Serving others by righteous personal restriction. He's not violating God's law, right? He's not doing something sinful. But he's doing something righteous, restricting himself in order to gain them for Christ. And then he takes it to the other end of the spectrum as well righteously flexing to fit the differences and needs of others in order to gain them for Christ. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God. Right? He's not, in other words, in doing this, he's not sinning, but under the law of Christ still, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is a trite example of these sorts of things, but maybe this will help kind of get the idea. Sometimes my wife and I talk about the different foods you can eat if you go on the mission field and the strange things to us you might have to eat. And so Sometimes when one of our kids or some of our kids will, will be at a table and say, well, I don't know if I want to eat that. Say, well, someday you might be on the mission field. You won't have a choice. And not to offend someone, you'll have to eat that. Well, what would we have to eat sometime? You know, There's, I'm sure you have stories as you think about it. What are the things that you may have to eat for the sake of winning someone to Christ? That's the idea, but more so. Things that... I don't know what Paul did. He doesn't mention them there. But, but there's many things that I'm certain Paul did that were not outside the law of Christ. right? Not sinning, but certainly uncomfortable for him and different than what he was used to. Why? For the sake of winning that person for Christ. We're called by Christ to win unbelievers to Jesus. That means we're called to be winsome in a holy way. Holy bending toward those who are legalistic. Maybe by the clothes we wear or the food we eat when we, when we spend time with them. Holy bending toward those who are pagan. New, uncomfortable practices, maybe, but righteous nonetheless inside God's law. Holy bending toward those who are weak, maybe embracing a service or a restriction to meet those who are weak. Infirm is that word. And Needy, holy bending toward those who are different. All things to all people. Acceptance, not quarreling over things that are not sin. Just difference of opinion, difference in practice. Paul brings all this together again, certainly. Bending as far as he can go, but inside the law of Christ. The point is we're called to reach for unsaved people as far as we can stretch without violating the will of Christ in order to win them to Christ? What kind of activity might that bring us to? What kind of preferences might we be called to lay down? Willing to take up things that we're unfamiliar with and even uncomfortable with. And many of the differences are in even the context of Romans 15, 7. That whole text is the same sort of idea. There are people from different backgrounds coming into the body of Christ, struggling with their conscience, and Paul says, welcome each other. And Paul says here, when you're reaching the lost, 
Be what you can to others so that you may win them inside the law of Christ. All for the sake of Christ. So are we winsome like that? Do we think like that, first of all? Are we welcoming, greeting, receiving, hospitable, impartial, winsome to people for the sake of Christ? Dear ones, the Holy Spirit is within us and He's been given us to, given to us to enable us to live this way. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Number two this morning, the heart of welcome. You've seen what we're called to in those many words of welcome. Therefore, welcome one another. Here's the heart of it. Why should I? And how can I? As Christ has welcomed you. The heart of our welcome of others springs from Christ's welcome of us. A delight in it. A realization of it. We are to welcome others in the same way that Christ has welcomed us. And as I thought through the texts of the New Testament that describe God or Christ's welcome of us, this is the word that came to my mind. You have been called into you see what now that made me curious. Of, okay, I'm called into this. That's God's welcome of me. That, that holy summons by the Spirit of God to irresistibly come into Christ. And then you see where that word goes to the New Testament. You think, what have I been welcomed into? So I think of the, the fact of Christ's welcome. And I'll have some words in the verses that we looked at highlighted in blue. The grace of Christ's welcome and you focus there on the fact that while Christ has welcomed me into these heavenly, eternal glories, grace says to me, I didn't deserve it. He gave it to me freely, in spite of me. And then you look at what it cost Christ to welcome me. And if you will, how He felt about it, His attitude, His expression of, of friendship toward me. His kindness and His love. Let's, let's look at some verses. Every single one of these texts, if, you will just, if we'll just meditate on them, they're absolutely astounding. These gospel calls to us as Christ has welcomed us. John 15, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone, this is what it cost Christ to welcome us. Lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But, but here's, what, here's what we've been called into. I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Christ laid down His life in order to call us His friends. And in this context, it sounds to me like friends is an intimate relationship because He's saying, you're not, I'm not just calling you servants anymore and not telling you nothing. I'm calling you friends and revealing to you the glory of the Father. And how did, we, how did we get to be called the friends of Christ? He chose us. He appointed us. That's all of grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't somehow buy our way into this friendship. He just chose us. It means eternal purposes. It's astounding. Called into the friendship with the eternal Son of God. And He bought us to do that. Romans 1, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved, there's the affection, the attitude of God, which, are certainly, which is certainly spelled out in, his, in, these, in these actions. The covenant love of God. We're called to be saints. And it's all of grace. It's all free and unmerited. 
And it's from God whom we can now call what? Father. This is absolutely amazing that Jesus, you ever think about this? Jesus was not jealous of his Father's love. Well, there's plenty to go around, right? Infinite in love. And so Jesus said, I want you to belong to me so that you can know the love of my Father like I do. This is what we're welcomed into, to belong to Christ, to be a set, set apart for Him, to be called children of God. Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, we're sons of God. We've been adopted. We haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're we're, we're called children of God, and not just children, heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may be also glorified with Him. This is what we've been welcomed into, by a holy summons, by the Holy Spirit, sons of God. Adoption as sons. The Spirit to indwell us, children of God. Heirs of creation with Christ. Heirs of eternal life. We're called according to His purpose, which is to be conformed to the image of His Son. We're called to be recreated. We're one of those ones who have been welcomed into the reversal of the curse to lay off the tyranny of Adam and to, be, and to enjoy the glory of being in Christ for eternity. Conformed to the image of His Son. Called brothers Christ is our brother in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers to be the brother of Christ. Christ has welcomed us. Romans 9, 25-26, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. Who is he talking about? He's talking about us. Gentiles. Nobodies. People who weren't the Israelite nation, but we're grafted in later. Those people who were not my people, we're welcomed. My people. These are my people, God says to us. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. This is amazing. This is amazing. That we're sons, that we're beloved, that we're God's people. I mean, all you have to think about to be amazed at that is not only this, but again, against the backdrop of our sin, of our rebellion, of our love for the world. We don't deserve any of this. And yet, we've been welcomed by Christ into all these things. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom... You were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You were called to share much in common with Jesus Christ. Consider your calling brothers. You're, called, you're welcomed into the family of God. Not many of you, though, were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of God the Father, that's Him, the presence of God, because of God you are in Christ, who then became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We're called into all of this. We're welcomed into wisdom and righteousness and sanctification in Christ. We're in Christ. Ephesians 2, 11-19 is a fantastic expression of what we've been welcomed into. Therefore, remember that at one time, this again gives us a taste of who we were before we were in Christ. Gentiles in the flesh, uncircumcision, <laughs> everything that meant unclean, that's who we were. By what is called circumcision, that which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time 
We were separated from Christ. Did you ever see yourself like this? Do you see yourself as, as who you used to be like this? Separated from Christ. We weren't born in Christ as a, as, as a newborn child in this world. We were born sons and daughters of Satan. We were separated from Christ. Alienated from all of the, the blessings of being the people of God from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the, 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 the promises, the covenants of promise. We had no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ. Here, here is a welcome. Here is the welcome of all welcomes. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near. And what did it cost Christ to bring us near? It cost him his life. And he laid it down willingly. Brought near. If, if, Think of who we were and how far from God we were. And Jesus Christ welcomed us to come near through His saving work. He Himself is our peace. Welcomed into peace with God who has made us both one. Welcomed into unity with God and other believers. And He, he, did, he accomplished that by... Breaking down in his flesh, right? There's the cost. His flesh crushed on the cross. Breaking down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. We've been welcomed into reconciliation with God in one body through, there's the cost, the cross, Killing the hostility. Christ killed the hostility between us and God and us and other believers at the cross. And He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. Who are you? Fellow citizens with the saints. Members of the household of God. That's the welcome of Christ to you. Access. Citizens. Saints. Members. Reconciliation. You've been brought near. First Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12, you've been called into his own kingdom and glory to enjoy the glory of God forever. We'll talk about this in a moment, but his own eternal kingdom. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. You are beloved. We ought always to give thanks to, for, to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain, you've been called to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, to share in His glory, to reflect His glory, to enjoy it to be blessed by it forever, to be satisfied and filled by the glory of Christ. We'll talk about glory more specifically in a moment. 2 Timothy 1.9, He saved us and called us to a holy calling. We've been welcomed into a life of increasing holiness and a calling of purpose beyond anything that we could imagine, right? Like 1 Corinthians 2 says, not because of our works, here you see the grace of this, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Hebrews 2.11 And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's a wonderful welcome. Christ has welcomed us into his family and he calls us his brothers. And he's not ashamed of that. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 But you are a holy or a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've been welcomed into this precious place with God through Jesus Christ. What did it cost Christ? Verse Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. To what end? That He might bring us to God. Welcomed to draw near to God. 
after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into His eternal glory, we've been welcomed into eternal heaven with the Father and the Son. He will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we would be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know Him. Beloved, we're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. We've been welcomed to be children of God. We are called loved and beloved. We, we are called to see Jesus in His glory and then to be like Him. Christ has welcomed you to this. Jude 1, 1 and 2, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. This is Christ's welcome to you. Let's summarize all of that. With great cost to Himself, Christ has welcomed you. He's called you friends. He's called you to belong. He's welcomed you to be saints, sons, children, heirs with purpose. He's called you His people, beloved, to fellowship with Him, to be near the Father, to be at peace, to be one, to have access. Citizens, members, kingdom, into His kingdom He's welcomed you, into His eternal glory, into a holy calling. He's welcomed you to be his brothers and sisters. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's possession. He's called you to be near to God, to see him as he is, and to be kept forever. And we didn't deserve any of that. He graciously welcomed us into it and paid for that welcome. He still welcomes you with love and kindness and compassion. That's the gospel of our welcome in Christ. That's what, that's, this is what we need to see when we think here, as Christ has welcomed you. All of that. And that's the truth that should change our hearts and our actions about welcoming others. That's, that's the package we need to have working on our hearts and say, this is what I have received as a welcome. In spite of myself, into the riches of this, and it cost Christ that, and He didn't begrudge me of it. He gave it to me with kindness and mercy and compassion. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. In the same way, with much grace, even when it's costly, with Christ's kindness and love, we embrace one another in that way. One of the most basic but profound principles in Christ-honoring relationships is this. The more mindful, the more amazed and humbled and grateful we are of how Christ has treated us as revealed in the Gospel, the more willing and eager and passionate and attentive we are to treat others in the same way so that others may experience the same love of Christ through us. Does that principle ring in your heart? That's, that's how we live. That's how, you, that's how you work through any conflict interpersonally. The gospel is at the heart of it. Think of yourself as just a mirror. That's what we are. We're a bunch of mirrors. We're here to reflect the glory of Christ to one another. We're here to reflect the love and grace and truth of Christ to one another. We're, we're mirrors made in His image. The actions of welcome. Therefore, welcome one another. The heart of welcome. As Christ has welcomed you. We have to take this to heart. And finally, this morning, the mission of welcome. To what end? To what end? We see the glory of God as the end of our welcome. For the glory of God. We see that already hinted at here in or more than hinted, Romans 15, 1 through 3, or, or 1 through 13. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then he's, he talks about this following 
We welcome people that are different than we are. Gentiles, Jews, people with, with, with different conscience issues and, and different tolerances and, and, and all, all of that that can come into the body of Christ. Why do we do that? To show God's truthfulness, to glorify God for His mercy, to, to rejoice in God together, to praise Him. Let's think about the glory of God for a little bit. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you with this mission in mind. For the glory of God. What is the glory of God? When I think of the glory of God throughout the study of Scripture, the first thing is that the glory of God is all of His perfections. Right? That's God's glory. All of His perfections. God is holy. That's His glory. God is love, God is gracious, God is just, God is righteous, God is compassionate, so on. All of His perfections are His glory. But then there's something unique when we talk about the glory of God, is it's more than just the sum total of His perfections, it's, it's God's glory that is displayed. God's glory is the display of His perfections. It's His perfections so that we can see them and experience them. That's the glory of God. God is light. All through the Old Testament views the glory of God as something visible, experienceable, if you can say that. God is light, 1 John 1.5. So what is the glory of God? It's all of God's glory put on display so we can see it and experience it. But it's a, it's a little bit more than that. It's God's glory it, it, so that we really truly can experience it and enjoy it. God loves us the way He loves Christ. For example, John 15, 26 talks about that. So God's glory is all of His perfections put on display so that we can experience them and enjoy them as His creation. But then it goes a step farther in the Scriptures as well. God's glory is the imitation and reflection of His perfections. That's why Jesus said, let your light shine before men. We reflect God's glories. And keep in mind, you can't imitate or reflect God's glory until you experience it and enjoy it, right? You can't give away what you haven't received. So God's glory is all of His perfections put on display and so that we can experience and enjoy them, and so that we can imitate and reflect them. That's what we've been called to. His own kingdom and glory. We're going to reflect the glory of God and enjoy His glory someday. Romans 8, 28-30, right? We're being conformed to the image of His Son. And finally, God's glory is the praise of His perfections. Romans, or Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine. Why? So that those around you can see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, to praise Him, to be amazed at Him, to wonder and awe at Him. So as a believer in Christ, we think God's glory is all of His perfections put on display for me, for us as His creation, so that we can experience and enjoy and be satisfied and filled with who He is, so that then we can learn to imitate and reflect Him to others, so that we all together praise Him for who He is forever. Guess what? That's what you were made for. That whole, those, those five points there are what we were made for. That, when we're living in that by God's grace, that's when we are happy. That's when we are satisfied and filled with joy. That's going to be heaven. That's heaven. Experiencing God. Okay, now take that and apply it to your welcome. Christ welcomed us for all of that. That's why. He wanted us to experience and enjoy and be filled and satisfied and reflect the glory of God. Christ welcomed us, a costly welcome, so that we would experience the fullness of the glory of God for ourselves. Christ welcomed us in order, to be, in order to build up a unity of diverse people called the church, whose words and deeds reflect the glory of God. <coughs> and Christ welcomed us so that we would become a great myriad of redeemed people whose praise for His magnificent glory and are, who praise His magnificent glory and are completely satisfied in Him. 
we welcome one another for that same reason. We welcome one another. Unbelievers, we welcome them in to the, to, the, to, the, to the gospel if they will receive it. We show them impartiality and we try to win them. Why? Because we want to, we want to lead them into the glory of God forever. We welcome other believers in their various places of spiritual maturity and opinion and, and, and conscience and, and, and all the rest of it. Why do we welcome them? So that they can experience the fullness of the glory of God with us. That's the best gift you could ever give someone. That's why we welcome them. And think about it, dear ones. Listen, you won't want to welcome others into the glory of God that way unless you yourself are pursuing the knowledge and experience of God's glory and and impassioned about it. You have to first experience that for yourself and be eaten up with it. And then when you see other people, you're like, I got to tell you about this. You have to experience what I've experienced, right? You can't, you can't welcome people into the body of Christ unless you have been welcomed into Christ for the glory of God. We welcome others so that we would become this great myriad of people who praise God starting now and never ending and who are satisfied in Him. For the glory of God, God saves and welcomes for His own glory. Christ saves and welcomes for His Father's glory. We welcome others for that. You see, God's not man-centered, right? (laughs) This is where the whole self-esteem gospel gets turned on its head. God doesn't save people because He can't live without them, right? God saves people because we can't live without Him. We need Him. God is God-centered. God is not man. Christ isn't. Christ is God's and He died for His Father so that His Father would be glorified by a redeemed people who are rejoicing in Him and satisfied in Him forever. Let me show you some verses that show you God's and Christ's God-centeredness in bringing us into salvation. Psalm 106.8. I've got three from the Old Testament, three from the New How did Isaiah 43 get there? I don't know. Psalm 106, 8. Yet he saved saved them for what? His name's sake. So that he could look like a great Savior as that he is. That he might make known his mighty power. For his name to make known his mighty power. That's why God saves people. That's why God welcomes us. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. Why does God forgive you? For my own sake. For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. For my own sake. Psalm 25, 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. When you get down on your knees before the Lord and, and you, you confess your sin and receive his forgiveness, Why do you tell him to grant you this forgiveness? God, I didn't mean to. I'll try to do better next time. Please forgive me. No, God, for your name, make my sin is great, but your grace is greater. And if you will forgive me, which I know you will in Christ, you will be glorious. You are. You, You forgive this way. Now, here's the thing that rubs people a little bit on this. Well, God is really self-centered, isn't he? He's really egotistical. Well, see, if a human was saying these things, we would say, yes, that's absolutely true. But you know what? Here's the thing. When God makes himself great to us and gives us himself as the treasure and the reward of the gospel, he is giving to us the greatest thing that he could give to us because he is good. He is the eternal great God. So it's so good that God makes himself great to us in the gospel. Here's some New Testament ones. Again, look at the progression of this, of this, of this gospel logic that Paul lays out. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We were predestined for adoption which Christ purchased 
And the purpose of that was to praise His glory forever. God is God-centered. He welcomes. Christ welcomes us for the glory of God. Philippians 2, 5-11. through You know these verses so well. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is amazing. Watch this. So you have the incarnation. He emptied Himself, took the form of a servant, He took on human form, and He was obedient. He humbled Himself under the law of God, to be our righteousness, and obedient even the point of death, not just any kind of death, but the lowest death known to mankind in the first century, death on a cross. So there's incarnation, there's obedience, there's crucifixion. And because of all that, Jesus was named Lord. And because He was named Lord, every knee will bow to Him. The name that is above every name. And why did the Son, pursue all of that and gain it. He's called Lord so that, what? Everyone would bring glory to God and enjoy His glory forever. To the glory of God the Father. God put forth Jesus Christ as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. That's His glory Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who who has faith in Jesus. I see here God being forbearant through the Old Testament years, enduring through people's sin before the cross was known in its fullness to mankind. And so then the propitiation was provided. I should have swapped those words. Propitiation was provided to reveal the righteousness of God, to put His glory as a righteous God on display and therefore then make Him, show Him to be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. For the glory of God. Since God welcomes His people for His own glory, since Christ welcomes me for His own glory, Let me welcome you in a way that reminds you of Christ's welcome and reflects to you the glory of God and leads you to a greater experience of God's glory. Isn't that the point of the welcome? That's the point of it. So that we would be filled and satisfied in Him. Often when we welcome people, think about this. Often when we welcome people, they look for us to make much of them. Right? And sometimes people don't feel welcomed unless we make much of them. We, we naturally and depravedly think, in order for me to feel loved, you have to make much of me. But the best we can give people is to welcome them and to take them in the glory, into the glory of God, to show them God, to love them, to get them there so that they can learn to make much of God with us. Look at at this psalm, Psalm 27.4. One thing, David says, I have asked of the Lord. That's what I seek after, that I can dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. To what? Gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Christ welcomed you so that you could gaze at the glory of God and be satisfied in him. And we welcome people for that same reason. This is the greatest gift we can give to others. Here's a Piper quote or a paraphrase I thought was helpful. We usually like to be made much of. When we lay our head down at at night, being made much of doesn't really make us very happy. And the reason is because we weren't made for that. We were made to take in the glory of God and make much of Him. And in doing that, we are known and loved and filled and kept and satisfied. We welcome others for God and for His glory. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you 
for the glory of God. In closing this morning, I just ask you these questions and we'll pray. Who is, who is it hard for you to welcome? Who is it hard for you to forgive? Now, that's a kind of welcome, isn't it? Who is it hard for you to serve? Who is it hard for you to fellowship with? Who is it hard for you to love? Those are the ones that God calls us to welcome as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. You know, maybe we could encourage one another by helping each other with this. We can certainly ask the Holy Spirit to teach us where we need to grow in this. But we can invite others as well to, 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 to help us, to say to us, hey, where, where do I need to grow in this? I encourage you to ask one another that. And then as you discover where you are in, in your personal interactions with others, we can certainly confess to our Father where we are and, and how we need His forgiveness and how we fall short. And then you rest in that forgiveness, that forgiveness of Christ and the power of His cleansing work. Trust the Spirit of God to change you. And then really pursue Christ-likeness in our personal interactions by, by trusting Christ to enable us to that. Meditating on these texts and the welcome of Christ into the gospel that we've received and ultimately the glory of God to which we are called to welcome one another. So pray about these things. Give yourselves to the meditation of these texts and, and ultimately delight yourself in the glory of God. Before we pray, I want to say one last word to those of you who may be listening today who have been discouraged from coming into the church or reading the Word of God or even seeking to know God through Christ by the Holy Spirit because you were treated at some point, you were treated poorly at some point by someone who professed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think we probably all run into different situations like that from time to time. I don't want anything to do with Christ. And then they proceed to tell you a story where they were hurt by a professed believer, discouraged by one. If that's you this morning, I, you know, I, I, I'm certain that you may have been treated without love and care. And upon that basis, maybe you decided not to want to be with or like people like that treated you that way. And up to this point, you've rejected Christ. Is that, is that you today? certainly a real experience. But I want to say this to you. True followers of Christ are still sinners. Every true believer is growing in Christ's likeness by the work of God's Spirit. And we, we all fall short still. And I'm certainly sorry that that happened, but we still need Christ's forgiveness. We still need God's changing work. Now, that's not an excuse, but in reality, the glory of God isn't always seen in us and through us as it should be. So my appeal to you is this. Please don't confuse the glory of Christ with the failure of one of His followers. That's really my appeal to you if you've been discouraged by a believer from coming to Christ. And in the end, when you stand before God, and if you were to say to Him, well, I didn't receive your Son because that believer discouraged me from doing so, He won't receive that as a valid excuse anyway. You still need forgiveness just like the rest of us. You still need Christ just like we do. So I would encourage you to move beyond that experience and go to the Word of God, read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four, four, four books of the New Testament, and see Christ's glory for yourself. And let Christ show you your sin next to His righteousness, His perfection. And let Christ show you what you deserve for your sin next to His cross and His resurrection. 
And let Christ show you His truth and His grace and His kindness and His power and His love and confess your sin to Him with the rest of us and receive Jesus Christ for who He is. Rest in His saving work as totally sufficient for your forgiveness and eternal life. And only then will you be able to be free of that offense and find God to be glorious and your greatest delight. So I would ask you, if you, know more, if, you, if you want to know more about this salvation, please come and talk with me afterwards. Or if you want someone to pray about, with you about any of these things, please don't leave today without coming to me. And I certainly love to put you with someone who can be a blessing to you in that way. Let's stand together and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for these texts that have taught us a beginning of what it means to welcome one another for the sake of Christ, for your glory, as He has welcomed us. And we ask you to seal these truths to our hearts. Work them in us, Father, by your Spirit. Work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure for your glory. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.